Hear the good news. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and he is indeed going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee there they will see me. May God bless this reading to our understanding. Easter is about the future, and I don't know how to talk about the future. I've never been there, so your guess is as good as mine as to what it will look like. I do know that sometimes imagining the future feels like it is the future, like when you're anticipating a vacation to Colorado and you can already smell the mountain air weeks before you depart. Or if you're planning a summer vacation to the beach and even before you get out your suitcase, you can feel the sand between your toes. Or when you're expecting your first child and you can go into the nursery and stand there and look at the place where she will sleep and already feel profound love for her even though she does not yet have a name. Easter is clearly about the future because in the gospel lesson that we just read, we heard that up ahead we would see Jesus, that he is going ahead of us, that we will see him, but how is it that any of us can talk about an unseen future? Several years ago, I traveled with a team from our congregation to Nicaragua. We set up a makeshift medical clinic on a mountaintop village with no running water and scant electricity. Packed in our suitcase, we had thousands of dollars of antibiotics and vitamins and painkillers. We were there to treat village people in Nicaragua in this rural area who were just barely getting by on less than $2 a day with no access to any medical care. But halfway through the trip, late one evening, we realized that the person most in need of medical attention was one of the doctors on our team. The roads were completely impassable, completely muddy and washed out. There was no way to safely get to town to get any medicine. So someone had the idea that we would look through everybody's personal hygiene kits to see if maybe anybody had brought something to get him through the night, just maybe a little castor oil, but nope, not happening. 
So two members of our team went out into the dark night in the pouring down rain and started going door to door to the little tiendas, the little stores that are really just windows in a tiny little home asking, does anybody have a little oil that we could buy? Each time they heard the same response, no, but up ahead, there's another little store, just up ahead. And so they kept going and they kept going. And after an hour of this, they decided that going up ahead was not doing anyone any good. And maybe they had better turn back. And about that moment, they found a little girl standing in the muddy lane, holding a flashlight, saying, excuse me, we heard from our neighbor that the doctor was sick and that you might need a little of this oil. And so I ran to my grandmother's house and I brought it. It's just half a bottle. Would this work? Oh, said one of our team members. This is amazing. You are amazing. You have saved the day. Thank you so, so much. What is your name? And she said, it's Angela, Angela, Angel. And indeed, she was our angel. In today's gospel story, it is an angel that comes bringing the good news. News so earth-shattering that there's an earthquake, we're told, and a lightning strike, and a stone sealing the tomb where Jesus had been buried is rolled aside, and the angel sits defiantly on top of the stone, announcing the good news in the still darkness of dawn on the third day after the crucifixion. He is not here. He is up ahead. Go quickly, and you will see. And the women do not pause for a cup of coffee or call a committee meeting. They immediately take off running. They run into an unknown future. But why? Why do they run? Recently, I heard a story about a runner. His name is Emil Zadopek. Maybe some of you who ran walk the parkway yesterday, maybe you know the story of this world-renowned runner, or maybe if your teenager runs cross-country, you know something about this runner's story. Emil Zadopek was one of the best runners in recorded history. He competed in the Olympics of 1952, representing Czechoslovakia, and he won the gold both in the 5,000 and in the 10,000-meter races. And then, at the last minute, he decided, well, I think I'll just run the marathon too. And around the halfway mark of the marathon, Emil and another runner broke away from the pack and they took the lead. And Emil turned to the other runner who happened to be the world record holder in the marathon and he said, are we running at about the right pace? And the world record holding runner said, well, ideally we'd be running a little bit faster. And so he took off running faster and he won that race with setting a record that was six minutes faster than it had ever been run. He won it by a half a mile. How is it that he could run like that? How is it that he could accomplish what had never been accomplished before and has never been accomplished since? What is it that pushes any of us to run beyond what we believe is our own capacity? I think it requires hope. Hope for a transformed life. Hope 
for a future not yet experienced. One theologian put it like this, we are pulled towards a home that we have not yet visited. Easter invites us to that home that we have not yet visited, to a transformed life. Easter beckons all of us to live as a people who are hopeful. But hopelessness is completely understandable. Sometimes it seems insane to believe that something better is truly up ahead. Everyone who hears the angel's pronouncement that Jesus is up ahead does not take this news positively. In fact, the soldiers guarding the tomb fall down, it says in the text, like dead men, which is really kind of funny because they are the ones on guard supposed to keep the dead man dead in the grave, and now the dead man has risen, and they are the ones lying dead in the graveyard. The guards are scared to death, and for good reason. The ruling authorities need Jesus dead. His message needs to be quelled. His movement needs to be stopped. They see nothing up ahead but trouble if this one named Jesus is up ahead on the loose. Fear of the future paralyzes them. What will their lives be like now? What will society be like now? If you are like me, you sometimes find yourself expressing similar fears about our shared future. How dare we have hope for this broken world of ours? We fear for our democracy as we live through the first indictment of a former president in our lifetimes. We fear for our children as the lunacy of gun violence becomes the leading cause of death among children, but no amount of protesting seems to move our legislators to hear our laments and our pleas for a safe world. We fear for our college students as they deal with an epidemic of depression and suicide among their peers. We fear for our neighbors in Turkey and Syria and Ukraine battling catastrophic losses. The list is longer, but you know your fears. The women at the tomb also felt fear. When they ran, the women, just like the guards, they were afraid, but the story tells us that the women had both fear and joy. The two Marys, who are still astonished and upset, are able to run forward with great energy and passion because they have experienced, along with their fear, such a great joy, such amazing energy pulsing in their veins and propelling them to move on forward up ahead. I absolutely love that this particular version of the Easter story holds both our joy and our fear together because that is where we live. Easter does not erase our fear. It pairs it with joy. Even though we live every day with fear, we also run with joy because we firmly believe that God who created us is the one who is up ahead of us. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann says that the place of despair is exactly the beginning place of hope. He writes, those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but begin to suffer under it and contradict it. And that's what was happening with the guards. They are lying on the ground as like dead men because they are the ones who have given up hope. They cannot imagine that the future that they share belongs to God, that up ahead that there really could be a new creation, a better life. 
Moltmann writes, without hope, faith falls to pieces, becomes faint-hearted, and ultimately a dead faith. I do not want a dead faith, and neither do you. And that is why we are here this morning to wonder aloud if God is still up ahead or if this Easter story is just an old and idle tale. Is our hope more than the beautiful flowers and the longer days? Is there any grit to our hope? There's one thing that I find enormously helpful in this telling of the Easter story. When Mary and Mary take off running, they are met by Jesus along the way. And after the women embrace his feet, Jesus sends them on up ahead to give a message to his brothers. What a funny word, a strange reference to my brothers. Jesus is here referring to his disciples. He is referring to Peter, who denied ever having known him. He is referring to James and John, who abandoned him. Jesus sends a message, and, and what I could imagine Jesus might have said is, send a message to those who betrayed me and denied me and tell them, whoa, how could you abandon me? Instead, Jesus sends a message to brothers. You see, brothers means he forgives them. He loves them. He longs for a new relationship with them. The theologian James Smith says that every single one of our lives are like a piece of art. He says, God looks at my life and sees a work of art that God wants to finish painting and show to the world. None of us are finished. Jesus looks ahead and sees a new future. All of us, each of us, transformed people, changed people, forever changed by the God whose love will never, ever, 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 ever let any of us go, will not let go of humanity. Let me close with this story. It's, it's not my story. It belongs to Holly Thompson, who told it on the Moth Radio Hour last month. Holly took up golf when she was 10 years old. By the time Holly was 11, she had become such an avid golfer that her grandpa invited her to play with him and his old golf buddies every Saturday morning. Most of the time, Holly beat her grandpa and his golf buddies, and it wasn't long before Holly dropped out of the old men's foursome and began competing with her peers on the national level. The press predicted great things for Holly, and after she played in a tournament, the other competitors in the tournament would come to her and ask for her autograph because they all knew that she was going to become a world-famous golfer. Indeed, she earned a full-ride scholarship to play golf in college, and she played well for the first couple of months, and then something happened, and she quit. No more golf. She was burned out. She was not about to play. In fact, she didn't pick up a club for years. And then she heard that her grandpa had been diagnosed with cancer, that he might have maybe up to six months to live. 
and Grandpa was so depressed that he wouldn't get out of bed, he wouldn't eat. So Holly went to see her grandpa, and she sat down next to his bed, and she said, Grandpa, get up. Let's go play golf. And he said, nope, you gave up golf. And she said, today I'm going to play. So she drove him to the golf course, and his old golf buddies were there waiting for them. She went out to the number one tee box. She put down her tee. She placed the ball there. She took a swing, and she completely missed. She turned and looked at her grandpa and the buddies, and she said, I was just warming up, practice swing. And then she went back, and she refocused. She knew it was a par three. This time, she swung hard. The ball sailed through the air. She could feel that it was a good shot. She watched it soar. She watched it land on the edge of the green, and it began to roll and roll and roll, and it rolled 45 feet until it fell right into the pen, a hole in one. Of all the times she had played golf with her grandpa, never had either of them hit or witnessed a hole in one, and she began dancing around on the golf course like a crazy woman, and then she calmed down and she turned around and she looked at her grandpa, and for the first time in her life, she saw him crying. I don't know how to talk about the future, but I know that the miracle of that story was not the hole-in-one. The miraculous truth is that a relationship of love dazzled and saved two lives that day. Though they both knew that death was just around the corner, both of them also knew that a very holy, powerful love was waiting for them up ahead.